Welcome to the Moses Lake Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This episode is brought to our church by Micah Bosworth, who pastors Ridgepoint Baptist Church in Wenatchee, Washington. We hope that this message will be an encouragement to you, and we would love to hear how God used it in your life. Isaiah chapter number six, and uh, we're going to read the first eight verses of this chapter and really look at somewhat of a familiar passage. If you've been in church for any length of time, you probably have heard the call of Isaiah the prophet and what took place here. But I want us to see uh, really this morning, or this, this morning, I'm used to saying this morning, okay? So if I say it, it's just my brain working on Ridgepoint time, okay? Um, so uh, uh, this evening, we're gonna look at really the idea of this, that when you truly see who God is, it'll affect you. It will. And uh, Isaiah, it affected him in a great way. When he truly saw the Lord for all that he was, uh, it affected him. And I I pray that it'll do the same for us tonight as we look into it. So let's all just stand for uh, a few moments as we read the word of God. And uh, if you're willing and able to do so, we'll read Isaiah chapter number six. And we're going to read those first eight verses. The Bible says this. It says, in the year that King Uzziah died... I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims. Each one had six wings. With twain he covered his face. Uh, with, with twain uh, he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, And the house was filled with smoke. Then said I, woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then flew one of the seraphims unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongs from off the altar. And he laid it upon my mouth and said, lo, this hath touched thy lips, and thine iniquity is taken away, and thy sin purged. Also, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then said I, Here am I, send me. Heavenly Father, Lord, we pray that you would now, as we look into your word, speak to us. God, would you help us to not just hear what you have in your word, but Lord, would you help us to take it, apply it, live it out even this week as we walk with you. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can go ahead and be seated. This, um, this passage to me, it's always fascinated me. I grew up um, hearing this passage all the time. And a lot of times what was said uh, or what was focused on at church camps and things like that was that last line, here am I, Lord, send me. I mean, there's the song, here am I, Lord, send me, that we would sing all the time. We would say, I'll say yes, Lord, yes, to your will and to your way. And we would sing things like that over and over and over at church camps. And I would consistently come to that line almost every single time that I read the passage. But not too long ago, as I was reading this familiar passage to me, I started to see uh, that the reason Isaiah came to a point where he said, here am I, send me, was because of everything that happens in the verses prior to it. Um, Isaiah saw something that not very many people in Scripture are said to see. 
He saw, well, let's just, let's just dive into it, okay? Let's dive into what he saw, starting in verse 1. Uh, it says that in the year that King Uzziah died, he saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. The, this time, King Uzziah, if you don't know, King Uzziah was a king that, uh, he, he began to reign at 16 years old and reigned for about 52 years. And so it was kind of an end of an era when he passed away. It was a big deal. It would have been a time when a lot of people might uh, wonder what's going to happen next. And, uh, and uh, really, like a time that we seem to always be in, in, in here in America, what's going to happen next? Uh, but what I love is this, and this is just a side note, is that even in a time of uncertainty for the people of Israel here, it still tells us God was on his throne. God was on his throne in the midst of a year that might have been uncertain for them. But he says that he was sitting on his throne, he was high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. As Isaiah looked up and he saw this, uh, he saw not only God on his throne, but it says his train filled the temple. He saw the glory of the Lord filling the temple. And then it says, above it stood the seraphims, these uh, angelic beings that were covering the glory of the Lord, which is just amazing to me, the fact that they were using some, uh, two of their six wings to cover his face and to cover his feet, just to kind of shade from uh, the glory of God. It said in scripture that if uh, someone were to actually see the full glory of God, that they would like be struck down dead. Uh, and so they're, they're holding back some of the glory of God, and yet Isaiah still sees his glory filling the entire temple. Uh, just an amazing thing there. And then the other two wings, it says they're flying. But then it tells us that these angelic beings are crying to each other, holy, holy, holy. That's interesting to me. Because in all of Scripture, holiness, uh, it, it's one of probably the least uh, popular attributes of God, but it seems in Scripture to be like the most important attribute of God. Uh, in fact, holiness is mentioned 637 times in Scripture. The holiness of God is. Uh, and, and what I think is interesting about this is through all of Scripture, we don't see, uh, we don't see like the mercy, mercy, mercy of God. We don't see the love, love, love of God. Like God is love, 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 or God is, ho uh, or God is uh, ju justice, justice, justice. Any other attribute or thing that we might uh, see is attributed to God we don't see it repeated like it is when it says his holiness, not only in this passage, but in Revelation when it says the beasts that are around the throne there are continually saying holy, holy, holy. It's just interesting because the, the word holy to us has become kind of something that we just throw around. I mean, how many of you say holy cow? Right. I mean, uh, and I, I mean, we we throw holy along with just about anything. And uh, there's there's it, it's even become a derogatory term in our culture when some people are maybe making fun of uh, a Christian. They might say they're holy rollers or they're holier than thou or something like that. Holy seems to be a word that we just kind of throw around. But holy means so, there, there there is so much behind that word holy. The word holy literally means set apart, separate, uh, or, or like a cut above. Like the choicest meat, a cut above is what uh, holy means, separate. Uh, and the idea is like, I don't know if you uh, uh, experienced this like I did, but my grandma had like that fine china, okay? And any time that we ate at grandma's house, 
uh, normally we ate on like the, the regular plate she got from Walmart, right? Uh, but where was the fine china set? right? It was set apart, okay? Separate, high, high and lifted up, okay? It was the china in uh, the house of my grandma. And the only time we ever brought that out was for special occasions, for Thanksgiving, things like that. That's the idea uh, of holy, is set apart, something that is separate for a specific reason. Uh, and God, it, it tells us, is holy, holy, holy. That he, he is like, infinitely holy, completely and utterly set apart or separate or a cut above. You say a cut above what? Everything. (laughs) Set apart from what? Everything. There is nothing. Who is like our God, the Bible says. Nothing is like our God. Uh, No no one and nothing is like our God. He is completely separate. He is, he's self-existent. He's self-sustaining. He's self-sufficient. Uh, he has wisdom that he never had to learn. He just had it. Uh, he, he has love that he never had to learn how to give it. He just knows. It, he, is, he is so perfect and set apart and good and, and right that, uh, that he is just completely separate or set apart from any, uh, anything else that uh, is or ever was. And then he's, he's just all powerful in such an amazing way. I think of even uh, in our passage, it says that just at his very voice, the posts were shaking. That's a powerful God, just speaking, shaking. I I wish I could do that. Like I get up here and I just start talking and then these rafters start, that'd be really cool. Okay, I'm just saying God is completely separate from us. He is high and lifted up. He is glorious. He is powerful. He is holy, holy, Holy. And what's interesting is when Isaiah sees all of this, he's in the presence of this holy, holy, holy God. He's in the presence of this glorious and powerful God. And his, his response is interesting to me. He didn't, like, he didn't like join in the worship, okay? He didn't hear the song go, I know this one, holy, holy, holy. He didn't, like, he, what did he do? He started confessing sin, when he saw God, he didn't join in the worship of, uh, of God. Many, many people, we think of seeing like uh, awe-inspiring things. I, I mean, a, a lot of times when I go, I have this bucket list there. I try to see like a bunch of crazy stuff. And when I go and see things, normally my first response when I see those things is, wow. You would think that that would be like his response. He sees God high and lifted up on a throne, his glory filling the temple, uh, post shaking at his voice. And you would think he goes, wow. That's not what he says. He says, whoa. He says, woe is me. I am undone. I'm a man of unclean lips. I live in the midst of a people of unclean lips. I've seen, I've seen uh, the Lord of hosts and when he truly had seen God for who he was and how he was and, and how powerful he is, when he truly saw this holy, holy, holy God, it brought him to a point of saying, I'm undone, I'm unclean, I'm unworthy. And I think it's interesting because he says, uh, he says I'm a man of unclean lips and I live in the midst of a people of unclean lips. Uh, he confessed his own fault first. Then he confessed the faults of his community. Too many of us Christians, we got that backwards. We, we see the holiness of God. We go, oh man, that's the standard? Well, they're not doing it. 
<laughs> right? We, we normally see the holiness of God and instantly we think of how someone else can do it better. No, no, no. He had it right. He saw who God was. He saw the standard. He saw the glory and the honor and the majesty and the, the holiness of God being cried, uh, cried aloud by these seraphims. And when he saw it, it made him go, I am worm. <laughs> like, I am nothing. I'm undone. I'm unclean. I'm unworthy. And then we see, I love this, God initiates forgiveness. I, if you notice, Isaiah didn't ask for forgiveness for the unclean lips. He just said, I have unclean lips. Like, I have sin in my life. When I see him, I realize how sinful I actually am. But then we actually see God initiate forgiveness. It tells us that an angel comes and takes a, a tongue and takes a, a coal from off the altar, puts it touches it to the lips of Isaiah and says, this has touched your lips and thine iniquity is taken away and thy sin purged. I love this because it's a beautiful representation of the gospel. Like, you know that verse Romans 5, 8 that says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We didn't even know yet that we needed forgiveness and yet God in his love and his mercy and even in his holiness and in his justice, he said, I'm going to initiate the forgiveness. I'm going to send my only son, Jesus Christ, down there to, to live a sinless life and to ultimately give his life as a ransom for many so that all who might believe on his name would come to know the righteousness of me. That's what he did. He initiated the forgiveness in the life of Isaiah and even in the life of us as well. And then it tells us that uh, Isaiah hears a question from God. Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And he's like, pick me. I want to go. Why? Because he realized that for someone so high, lifted up, holy, glorious, powerful for someone like that to initiate contact and show mercy to someone as lowly as I, whew, that demands surrender. That demands that I give my all to him. You know, I, I think it, as I, as I thought about it, I thought, I feel like the reason that too many of us as Christians that we're not obeying the scriptures like we ought to is because we've lost sight of the holiness of God. We've lost sight of who God truly is. Because when Isaiah truly saw who God was, that just one simple question, hey, I need someone to go, I'm, I'm that guy, <laughs> I'm gonna go. I feel like if we would get back to truly understanding from the word of God how holy and righteous and set apart from us God is, how powerful and loving and merciful. We truly see God for all that he is, the glory of who he is, the majesty of who he is. Then it would, it would just like naturally flow. Hey, who's gonna worship me? I'll do that, God. <laughs> who's gonna sing unto me? I'll do that, God. Who's gonna tell people of me? I'll do that, God. <laughs> Why? Because I understand that for someone as high, holy, righteous, powerful, for someone like that, to have in his love and mercy reached down to someone like me, 
and give me salvation so that I might put on the righteousness of him, that I would say, whew, I need to surrender to that. It just makes sense if we understand who God is and who we are and that someone like him would actually even not just affiliate with us, (laughs) but that he would actually initiate the affiliation and that he would forgive us, that should drive our hearts to love him more and bring us to a point where we say, I'll do, I'll do whatever you ask, God. I'll do whatever you ask. And I actually see this even in the, uh, in the psalm, Psalm chapter 19. So I, I want us to turn there, and I want us to kind of unpack Psalm chapter 19, because I love how uh, David, when he wrote this psalm, kind of unpacks for us the same thought, the same thought of seeing God for who he is and ultimately getting to a point where he, he surrenders himself. Another well-known passage, if you've been in church for uh, some time, you might know some of these verses. But Psalm 19, it says this. It says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth his handiwork. Day unto day uttereth speech, and night unto night showeth knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. In them hath he set a tabernacle for the sun, which is as a bridegroom coming out of his chamber and rejoiceth as a strong man to run a race. His going forth is from the, begin, uh, from the end of heaven and his circuit unto the ends of it. And there is nothing hid from the heat thereof. What's he saying in all those? Basically he's saying this, God, I see you just by looking at creation. I see who you are and how powerful you all are just by looking at the, the heavens that, that show your handiwork. I see you in creation. Then look at the few, next few verses. He says, the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, Enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is thy servant warned, and in keeping of them there is great reward. Uh, There's so much to unpack in these, but really what he's saying is this. Not only do I see you in creation, God, in your very word I see who you are. Uh, Your very word changes me. And makes my simple mind wise. I see who you are just by reading your word, God. And then he gets to a point where he says, now that I've seen you, I need to say something. Look at verse 12 and 13. Who can understand his errors? Cleanse thou me from secret faults. Keep back thy servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then shall I be upright and I shall be innocent from the great transgression. He says, I see who you are, God, in creation. I see who you are revealed through your word. I see it, and I am so unclean. (laughs) Lord, would you cleanse me? Would you keep me from presumptuous sin? I need you. And then the last verse, he says this, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. What's he saying? Really saying this, God, would you use me? Uh, I, I love the thought process of Psalm 19. 
because it's basically this. God, you show yourself in creation. God, you show yourself in your word. And though I am so unclean, would you show people you through me? Would you do that through me? I want to be used of you, God. Why? Because I see who you are. And I see who I am. And yet you still love me. I want to be used of you, God. I want to do all that I can for you. See, when we truly see who God is, his holiness, his glorious, uh, his, his glory, all of these things that we've talked about, when we truly, truly understand who God is, it will first of all humble us to realize where we are. Because we, if you're like me, sometimes it's so easy to think I'm doing better than I am because I'm looking at someone else. I'm like, well, I didn't do that, so... But Paul says comparing yourselves among yourselves, it's not wise. When we look at the standard of Jesus, we will always, we will always go, I don't add up. When we see who God is, we'll first be humbled. And then when we see the salvation that he brings, despite who he is and who we are, and that he gave that to us, it'll bring us to surrender. It truly will bring us to a point of surrender. One uh, lady said it this way. Her name is Jackie Hill Perry. She said, if God is holy, he cannot sin. As she unpacked this, she said, if he cannot sin, he cannot sin against you. If God cannot sin against you, shouldn't that make him the most trustworthy being there is? When we truly understand how holy God is and the fact that he interacts on our behalf, It'll just lead us to trust him. Hey, who will go for me? I will. Do you know what that entails? No, but I'll do it. Why? Because I know who you are. I know who I am, and I know what you've done for me. So God, use me. I give myself to you. Thank you for listening to this message. We hope it's been an encouragement to you. And if you'd like any further information about our church, we'd like to encourage you to visit mlbc.church.